Dotnet Rocks episode 717 with guests Alastair Allen, John Dahl, Nora Herding, and Heather Willems. Recorded live Thursday, November 10th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is a show, uh, one of many that we did while we were at Ordev. This one is on data visualization, some great talks. But before we get into it, I want to tell you that Pluralsight.com is where you can watch 200 minutes of free developer training given by many of our guests. They have 600 plus hours of content to choose from, including three Power Pivot titles by Robert Kane, Power Pivot for SharePoint 2010, Managing Power Pivot in SharePoint 2010, and Power Pivot for Microsoft Excel 2010. In addition, there are fundamentals classes in C Sharp taught by Scott Allen. VBNet by Rob Windsor, C++ by Kate Gregory, and JavaScript by Liam McLennan. After your free 200 minutes are up, it's only 30 bucks a month. Pluralsight.com is proud to support .NET Rocks. Now let's get to the show. Hey, welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here down at the end of the hallway at Ordev. While sessions are going on, we're going to talk to some people. Talk to the speakers here at Ordev. And uh, next up is Alistair Allen. Hi there. Hi, Alistair. Tell us about what you're talking about here. Um, so I'm giving two talks here at Ordev. The first one uh, was earlier this morning, which was visualization and infographics, how to win users and influence people. Love it. Nice. Um, and the second one I'm giving, pretty much just after this, is iOS sensors and actuators. It was what? iOS sensors and actuators. So iOS sensors and actuators. In the iPad and the iPhone? Uh, and also how to connect it to external hardware, like right. uh, directly to Arduinos. Love it. Cool. Uh, I really wanted to dig into your visualization talk, mm -hmm. just because uh, it's one of these areas that people really get confused on. Mm -hmm. Give us your approach. What do you, what do you talk about? Well, uh, I, I wasn't a big visualization guy. I was, I was your typical back-end dev guy. Right. Um, but I sort of had uh, an epiphany moment at my road to Damascus moment, which mm -hmm. was back in um, back around March, April time. Um, so, which is not a good time to be on the road to Damascus. It's hairy out there. It's right true. Now. Yeah, don't um, go to Syria. It's a but mistake. But as as it happens, I was in Santa Clara, so the weather was slightly better. Okay, uh, that's good. Um, <laughs> so, uh, as you may remember, the the iPhone tracking scandal broke around then, which was the iPhone right. your location. Well, that was me. Um, Wait a minute. That was you. Yeah. You broke the scandal? Yeah, I, I found the data. You f you're the guy that found the tracking data. Yeah, on me the and iPhone. Pete Warden, yeah. Nice. So that was, my, that was my road to Damascus because basically um, people knew about it. The security, the security guys knew about it. Yeah. It, was a, it was deeply buried and there was you know, sites and books and stuff. But no one actually knew about it um, because what was out there was that, well, here's an SQL, SQLite database. It's got some stuff in it. Yeah. You don't want to know about that. It's fine. Right. And Pete and, I, Pete and I stumbled across it yeah. on the iPhone, and we went, people should know about this. So we built a tool to visualize your data, and we made the tool available. And basically, the visualization told a story. And the thing was, it wasn't my story. It was the pers their story. Right. It's mm -hmm. like you, you, the journal, it, it basically took off. I mean, we didn't expect it to be a big thing because right. it was just like, well, it's a 
database burden and iPhone, no one will care. Right. Yeah. I thought maybe Engadget might pick it up. It was a bit of a privacy thing. But, you know, when we broke it, there was 12 satellite trucks parked outside the O'Reilly Wear Conference. Wow. Uh, you know, CNN, CBS, ABC, like all of the, the three-letter acronym guys. Right. Yep. And um, so they were basically parked outside. And the, the reason they were parked there, at least this is, the, this is the thing I've come to, is that we gave them a tool to do their own visualization. The journalist went, well, I can't be right. They plugged their own phone into the tool. They did right. the visualization. It's just like, that's my life. Yeah. And, look, and look, that was where I was. So what, you were literally showing them on a map? Location to location. Yeah, I mean, basically, uh, the the tool let you plug your own iPhone in, mm -hmm. look at your uh, you look to your own iPhone backups, and pulled as it was then. Whenever you upgraded to iOS four, right till now, so that was about eighteen months of possible data. Right. So it showed you your life over the last eighteen months because it you was were. everywhere you were. Every time you went home, now, every time you went to the grocery store, yep. every time you went to the gym, they were and all that, there. That Did was, they ever find evidence that it was sending that data back to Apple? Oh yeah, it was going back to Apple. It was it all was. going back to Apple. Yeah. Wow. Um, Google does the same thing. Well, and, in, and the big debate, of course, is does WinPhone 7 do it they as well? They will do the same thing. Because basically what they're doing is they were building, um, building a, it, they were trying to replicate Skyhook Wireless's database, which yeah. is you know, where all the, the Wi-Fi access points are. Right. So they can do uh, proper positioning. Um, I mean, the, it's in the terms and conditions, if you read the terms and right, conditions. Right. It is there. Yeah. Now that you can actually read that 200-page document, yeah. click OK to make it go well, away. It's either sure. you agree or you don't use the iPhone. But the, that, was my, that was my epiphany, Road to Damascus moment, as in visualizations have power. Right. right. They tell a story. And if you tell, uh, and visualizations are, are, can be far better propaganda than, um, you know, mere words. Yeah. Sure. No, the, obviously, this profound moment was when the reporter took his own phone exactly. and saw his you could, own you data. You could see it on, there was, I remember distinctly one CNN piece um, where the reporter just live on television plugged his own phone in and then pulled it up and it was just like, the expression on his face was yeah. just like, there unbelievable. It's just, wow. I don't, I, it's just, I don't, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So, um I've wow. sort of become I've become far more interested in, in doing this properly now because if it's going to have that big an effect, um, I really want to be able to do that properly. So, sure. uh, I, you know, I've actually I've been doing a lot of reading. I've been doing a lot of research into exactly what I should be doing. And mm -hmm. of course, the visualization we did at the time was actually quite poor. Right. But and it was good it enough. It was effective. So it what, was effective, but it was actually, it was quite poor. What did it look like? Well, I mean, we we double dipped. We um, each of the points that were plotted up had a size and a color. And the color and the size actually represented the same thing, which is a very bad thing. You should use one to represent right. one and the other dimension to represent something else. Right. Um, and then the other thing, we actually deliberately degraded the, uh, the visualization. So we, we uh, degraded it in spatially and temporally. So you couldn't actually get... The, the Latin longitudes were much more accurate than we were willing to plot for people. Because, well, it was all right doing your own phone, but what if it's your girlfriend's or your boyfriend's right. phone? You didn't want to actually facilitate stalking. Yes. Okay. Um, and then we actually blocked it up into um, week-long blocks, despite the fact it was, you know, whatever the time you were actually at. So right. we could only see a week-long, week block of data. If you're a dev, we gave the source code out because we weren't going right. to, so you could go in and fix and it. And it's nothing mystical. This is just a database. Yeah, it's just a SQLite database. Right. We, instru we, we gave instructions how to go and get the database as well. Right. So, um, 
yeah, that's pretty much where my where my interest in visualization came along. It's like wow. it's that powerful. Okay, I what a story. Need to know stuff about that. So now that you're taking visualization seriously, what are you reading? What are you what are you focusing on? Um, I mean, the, the, there's there's a whole bunch of classic books that you have to read. There's Tuft, which is the the, the classic visualization yeah. book, but yeah. I mean that's pretty heavy going for devs. Yes. Um, but I mean, there, there's uh, O'Reilly do a couple of good books. There's um, Beautiful Visualization, which was edited by Noah Ilsky and uh, Julie Steele. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good book for that. And they also do uh, a more recent book, which I can't remember the name of. Sorry, Noah. Sorry, Julie. Um, that they've also done. So if you go, if you go to look up Beautiful Visualization and click on one of the names, there's another book for okay. them, and that's uh, How to Build Good Visualizations. The do's and the don'ts. So, and is this really just because it was geospatial data and it needed a visualization? Yeah, I, I, I right. pretty much. That's why we did it. It was, mm-hmm. it was geodata. So you put it on a map, and oh, that's a visualization. People just yeah, could see lats the story. and longs don't mean anything. Yeah, that's right. Well, this is it. The first time I saw the data, I saw oh, okay, lats and longs. It's a cache file. Okay, that's fine. No big deal. No big deal. Right. I expected to find a cache file, you know, because there has to be some sort of cache, right? But. Um, I suddenly went, there's 28,000 points in this cache file. Why is there 20? And there's 280,000 Wi-Fi points in this cache file. Why is there that many number of points? Right. Yeah. How much Wi-Fi data were they storing, other than maybe just the SSID? Or? Uh, S, uh, the MAC address. Um, so there's actually um, uh, crowdflow.net actually was a project it was one of the things that re- really nice things that came out of the whole thing and these guys are based in germany and um they basically went online and said send us your db files we'll anonymize them put them all together and they've built some really beautiful visualizations uh based on top of that they've got like one over a thousand individual files and they've like pushed it all in together one big database anonymized it and you can you can see how uh for instance you know the, you can actually see the split of um, access point manufacturers, right? Because wow. you've got a large enough sample size. Yeah, you got like millions of access points. Right. Uh, you can see sort of the on based. You can break that down by country. Wow. Um, you can see exactly how the iPhone does its location base because the, the you've got the timestamps for the cell positions and the timestamps for the Wi-Fi positionings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can actually see like a little pulse of cell positioning, two or three Wi-Fi positions, and you can you can see this move across. Across a map, they've done some really nice visualizations. So, to remind me, what was the outcome of that whole scandal? Did did they fix um, it? And by fixing oh, yeah, it, they, they still they, have the ability to do what they do. How? They 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 basically re- released. I mean, the, the the scandal was not that they were doing it. Everyone knew they would do it. They had yeah. to do it to get you know basically to do location based anything. You have to do this, right? right? The the scandal, such as it was, and quite frankly, I think. The media ran with it just ever so slightly. Sure. Yeah. Um, just ever so slightly. Ever so slightly. Um, so the scandal was that there was a year and a half's worth of data right. sitting on your phone. Oh, sitting that's on your, right. What it was. Sitting so they, in your backups, and it was all unencrypted. They chiseled it down to like a month or something. Yeah, I, I think yeah. it went down to a couple of weeks or something. Yeah. Uh, so they, they did a, an OS release almost immediately. Yeah. So, I mean, I think from yeah. my point of view, it's we need, uh, we need a... We need a debate on location privacy, and I think it was a good yeah. it was a good club to start the debate. Yeah. Right. Wow, that's interesting. So, uh, well, uh, where can we go from there? <laughs> I don't think there's anywhere to go. I think you've nailed it. The visualizations made that all that stuff real, and uh, your phone knows where you are and what you're doing. 
So be careful. So be careful. So don't screw up. <laughs> Thanks, Alistair. Thank you. Been a pleasure. Alistair Allen, ladies and gentlemen. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Hey, it's Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell again for .NET Rocks live at Ordev. And we're here with John Dahl, a speaker here at Ordev. Hi, John. Hello. Tell us what you're talking about. Uh, I am doing two talks here. Uh, one is on programming and minimalism. Uh, it's a talk on programming style, kind of parallels between art and programming. And Minimalistic the other... programming. Wow. Yes. Yep, yep. The other is on API design. Okay. API design. Yeah. Designing. So, yeah. Minimalist programming. Wouldn't that just be all assembly language then? <laughs> <laughs> minimalist. Uh, there's I a lot of dimensions be... that you can be minimalist in. I guess. Uh, yeah. and we'll, we'll... <laughs> I'm thinking it's the other the other end of the spectrum, which is less clutter. Sure. Yeah. So a high end language is more minimal. Right. Yeah. In some ways. And do I'll... underscore yeah. stuff. Do yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that's yep. it. If it does stuff, then that's that's it's, uh, it's yeah. finished. Yeah. That's right. Has an event called did stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Done. That's great. Yeah. Not very damn useful, is it? But just minimalist. So, okay. What does it mean to be minimalist in programming? Um, so, I think there are some really interesting parallels between programming and writing. Mm -hmm. uh, writing prose, writing poetry, music composition, a lot of forms of expression. Yeah. It's, uh, all these things, including programming, are ways of taking ideas and putting them into some sort of language. Mm -hmm. um, and anytime you take ideas and put them into language... Uh, you have to deal with style because there's so many different ways of expressing an idea. Yeah. It's not just sort of a one-to-one -one implementation. You choose how to express things. Yeah. Um, and so programming style is something that we all do. We, we all have a style, whether we know it or not. Right. Uh, and I think good programming style is minimalist um, for a few reasons. Uh, uh, but amongst other things, it allows for clear understanding, clear uh, communication, um, so in my talk, I talk about uh, uh, George Orwell, who has an essay on writing called Politics and the English Language, which is a great essay. Called what? Politics and the English Language. Politics and the English it's, Language. It's one of the best essays ever on the topic of writing style. Okay. And one of the interesting things he does is connect poor writing to poor thinking. Huh. And says ideas that are packaged poorly, uh, that, 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 that are written poorly, are hard to understand, which he, which he says makes that a tool of propaganda. So a lot of propaganda is all about sort of using indirect language that doesn't exactly get at what you're trying to communicate, yeah. and it enables propaganda. But, but, but for programming, I think the parallel is uh, uh, ideas that are clearly communicated and clearly expressed 
you can actually think better about the problem at hand. So give us a, an example of a non-minimalist API implementation and one that right. is minimalist um, so we can compare. Right. So the, the, the minimalism API, uh, they, they go together, but, but they're, they're, uh, uh, I'll, I'll start separate. Okay. Um, mm, sure. Uh, so w- without, without having a specific, you know, code example, I think, I think any code that is overly complex, too verbose, uh, um, poor, poorly constructed, uh, needs refactoring. Um, uh, it's harder for, you know, me as a developer and you as a developer to understand that code even as you write it, let alone when you come back three weeks later, let alone when you bring a new person onto your team and they come back to it. Does so, that, do you have some hard, fast rules about, like, how many parameters <laughs> are too many? More than one? Right. No, uh, pe- people do. People do, you yeah. know. Uh, um, uh, I, I ha- in my talk, I give sort of general guidelines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, things like always take the most direct approach to your problem. Yeah. Which seems common sense, but... We like to uh, sometimes like to make things more difficult than than they need to be, right? We yeah. think it'd be fun to build up this big system, whereas sure. a simple direct, you know, a, a single method maybe would solve a problem that that yeah. uh, uh, that you could otherwise write a complex answer for. Um, yeah. Yes, yeah, so you end up three or four methods over time that end up really could be just rolled into a single one. Sure. And ultimately, that is refactoring, right? Is sure rethinking Absolutely. those things, yep. simplifying yep. them. Yeah. The other, I, thing, I, the other thing we like to abuse is inheritance, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of base classes and right. classes on base classes, and then right. it, it turn, turns into just a big gooey mess. Yep. A, a lot of it's striking the right balance of abstraction. If you yeah. over abstract or under abstract, huh. you get to something that is uh, hard to understand, hard to maintain. Yeah. When you talk about reading code, I mean, in the end, the only person who really needs to read the code is the compiler. That's all that's, <laughs> granted, not a person, but, right, right, right. you know, they, they definitely different things need to read your code. Yeah, uh, the compiler is the most important reader, let's say, but I think the human reader is also really important. Mm-hmm. Um, both, both the author, who is going to be reading their code as they write, as they reference the code elsewhere, mm-hmm. um, and a team, where you have... A number of people who maybe aren't familiar with something, and the people who are going to inherit your code next exactly, year. The, you exactly, exactly, right. Yeah. right, right. Yep. Yeah. And so, and you think brevity is a key part of this? Uh, so I, I think minimalism, and I think minimalism can be short. It doesn't have to. It, sometimes it's longer though. A, a one-liner, like uh, uh, what's what's the phrase? Pearl golf or whatever. We have like the one line of pearl that does huge amounts of things. Oh yeah, yeah. Which, which is actually kind of cool, right? That there's kind of a poetry to that. Yes. But that's that's maybe not the right code to put in a production application. Not very readable. Yeah, exactly. So so I would say even even something that's shorter may be less minimal than something a little bit longer. I think it's more a standard of understanding. Yeah. Clarity. So what, what's, yeah, clarity exactly. Well, it's why we have indentation and sure. bracing and so yep. forth. I mean, really, the compiler could do without them. It's yep. about helping us read the code. Yep. I remember when exactly. the IDE, I think it was Visual Basic, the IDE uh, didn't automatically indent for you like Visual Studio does now. And I remember teaching a class in Visual Basic where the guy who was having the biggest problem wasn't indenting. <laughs> and he was you yep. know, trying to figure out where his nested ifs ended, and yep. it's just impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway, so um, so give us some more, give us some more concrete examples of of minimalism. Yeah. Um, so I think another another helpful uh, kind of example is um, uh, another helpful way to keep your code minimalist and and keep good style has to do with uh, so if you're using let's say the MVC like an MVC framework, mm-hmm. um, there, there's a common pattern where you take code from. You don't want logic in your views. 
So you move that up to the controller level. But you don't want too much logic in your controllers, so you move that to the model level. Right. Um, and I think what you can end up, if you stop there, you can end up with, you know, models that are enormous that do way too much. Uh, yeah. And so I think I think it's important to, I think that is a helpful process or uh, uh, um, principle, but I think you need to go further and extract uh, uh, logic from models to libraries um, mm -hmm. uh, with, you know, similar concern. And then from there, abstract libraries to open source libraries. Uh, ultimately, if something is not sort of core business logic, you, you really don't need to own that code. It makes a lot of sense to let the community own that or let someone else own that code. So the model should be pure logic and anything that so yeah, a Does model computation be, or anything like that—that's more generic and be pushed off to a library. Sure, sure, yep. And anything that is sort of shared functionality, like like an authentication yeah. system, yeah, yeah, is not something that you need to own as right. as a, as a software application. If right. if the community can own that, if uh, if another tool provider can own right. that, that's less. Your code does less. You, you can reduce the size of your application. Mm -hmm. So search, unless you're Google, yeah. search is not business. You shouldn't logic. own search code. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But I think it's interesting, the idea that as your application evolves, you might actually drive code you originally wrote mm -hmm. in the app out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And even to the point of literally creating your own open source library for other people to work with. That's right. Exactly. Sure. Yep. Yep. That happens all the time. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's an interesting concept of motivation to, to simplify the app that way. That mm -hmm. just We're going to abstract that completely out and yep. let it live on its own and, and take advantage of the fact that it'll evolve mm -hmm. there. Yep. yep. And there's there's pros and cons or there's challenges and benefits to doing that. Mm -hmm, uh, yeah. But if you can do it right, it uh, um, I think it's the right way to do it. Well, it's a nice word to to keep in your mind. Um, I think that's where you, what you're really trying to convey here is just keep minimalism in your in, in as, as the mantra. Uh, yep. That should drive what you do. Yep. Are do you find that particular languages you prefer that that are more minimal than other? When we definitely talk about more verbose and less and more right. terse languages. Mm. Right. Um, I think, uh, I think you probably, so yes, I, I personally, I'm a big fan of, um, high level languages, uh, mm -hmm. Ruby, Python, JavaScript, things yeah. like that. Um, but, but I think, I think there's, there's a, there's a minim minimalist standard, uh, that can apply to every language. C in some respects is a very minimalist language. It's, mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's tiny certainly terse. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think there's things you can do with functional languages that you, yeah can't do easily in other languages so you can create a very simple minimal elegant solution it might be complex minimal doesn't mean always means simple yeah um do, you, uh, do we always equate minimalism and elegance together i think they're close yeah yeah, yeah. that's an issue problem right it's just, yeah. yeah you know why don't we use that term right. when, you know one term or the other they, they do have right. some difference in meaning right right yeah i think i think minimalism i think they're close i think minimalism just sort of calls to mind the fact that Ideally, you want to have less complexity. Yeah, right. and I, it goes all the way to design, doesn't sure. it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Product design, visual design, yeah. absolutely. I'm just trying to envision elegantly cluttered code. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it'd be or, uh, or very ornamented. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Very Part of ceremony. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, I, and I, you start thinking about certain design approaches, like AOP. Yeah. And it, is that actually a minimal approach? One would argue it's an elegant approach, but it may it's not elegant. be a minimal approach. Oh, I, I, yeah. That's a good question. What do you think about that? What's, what's aspect-oriented programming? Oh, I'm I'm not super familiar with that. So. Yeah, the whole it? idea is that you take things out of the code that happen at the compiler level, so they're they're actually there, but you don't see them. Hmm. Yeah. So, for example, logging would be a good example. It's the right. quintessential AOP. Right. Uh, you know where 
every call that gets made, you want to log, right. but you don't want to have to go into every call and do that. So at the compiler level, those hooks are put in, and it does do the logging, but you never see it. To, to, to me, that, that done right can be could, could allow for cleaner, more readable code, right? Yeah, and it certainly could. And in the sense that it's minimal in the case that you're, you're putting that change in one place, even though right. it's spreading all around. Yep, yeah. that's right. Uh, certainly, it's, it's statement towards elegance as well. Is yeah, that definitely elegance. It's a tidy way. Sure. I, th I think the pitfall would be um, uh, if it's done in a way that develop a developer does not understand. Mm -hmm. That's uh, it. You know, too much magic. That's uh, right. Uh, improperly done can make things more complex. Yeah, that's unexpected right. behavior. Well, and, and it's certainly exactly one of the arguments right. against yeah, yeah. AOP is that right. at times it's magical. People don't know right. why behaviors are occurring the way they are. Right. Or how to debug them. Right. Yeah. yeah. I know I'm getting logged. I just don't know why. Right. Well, that's the, the classic pitfall of using a wizard of any kind or a right. generator is that if you don't understand what that wizard or generator right. is producing, you shouldn't use it. Yeah. I think convention would be key for both of those examples. Yeah. If, if you're going to do automatic... Logging yeah. it should be uh, uh, done in a conventional way. It's done in the same way on every application, and, so then, if, and then yeah. So if I could sum up your philosophy in three words. Would it be just be awesome? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's not a bad goal. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, John, thanks very much for talking yeah. to us. Thank you, John Dahl. <laughs> you got one fan out there. <laughs> At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only $6.95. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. Hey, it's Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here at .NET Rocks at the end of the hall. Ed or Dev, everybody's in the session, so I'm talking to the camera guy. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Oh, and and Magnus. 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 Oh, there's a few folks here. Magnus is here. We are talking with Nora Herding and Heather Willems from ImageThink. Hi, guys. Gals. Hello. So what's ImageThink? Um, ImageThink is it's a graphic recording company. It's our it's our it's our company. And you do these great visualizations. We've been, we've been working side by side most of the day today. Yeah. And uh, we make audio recordings. You make these beautiful drawings. I like your stuff way better. <laughs> Did you say a graphic recording? Yes. Yeah. Software suite. Um, what we do is graphic recording, mm -hmm. and so we take conversations and make them visual. So okay. If you've literally just been wandering around ca gathering conversations, like making notes, like no. how does that happen? No. Um, people have to be in the same room having the same conversation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's helpful. Unless they're tweeting. Um, and, and normally we're at conferences like this um, or in smaller groups where they're, they're really trying to hash out and, and do some strategic planning or visioning or brainstorming, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some kind of conceptual design or problem solving. So we're in the room with them as they're all uh, hashing this out and talking, and we're creating a visual transcription of, a, of literally a visual map of right. all their ideas as they unfold. And you're doing this by hand, by, by drawings? Hand. Yep. Okay. When you said an image recorder, I just had to, you know, because I'm a geek, I think. How does that work exactly? Isn't that what a camera does? Right. You know? 
Okay. No, we use, um, usually when we're in rooms, we'll use um, pen on paper. It's very analog. Yeah. But we do have the option of doing it digitally as well. Everything is digitized. And it's funny because this year we were at, the reason we're here today in Malmo is um, the uh, the staff of Ordev uh, saw us at South by Southwest okay. last year. So we did 74 sessions with a te- our team of people, um, even though it's a digital conference we, we it did just it sounds analog. like a tremendous amount of work. They have 70, you had 74 sessions you captured. Yes. And they're yeah. in these large format storyboards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how, we're looking at them right now. We're, we're looking over at them. How many boards would you fill for a given session? Uh, it depends on the duration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And here, as a South by Southwest, usually the session's between 45 minutes and, and an, to an hour. Right. So we're filling uh, up a board that's around uh, two to three meters long by about uh, you know a meter and a quarter high or four is, feet by eight feet if you're is American. This, are these boards right here what you're doing sort of displaying tweets visually yeah is this is doing? something new we're doing just for Ordev. just started doing actually capturing tweets because you're not software developers no we're not we're so I mean you're in a software development session mm-hmm. it's got to be a challenge to know what to capture or you know what's important or what the heck we're talking about <laughs> Right. Well, the the skill set, we don't claim to be experts in anything except the graphic recording. Right. <laughs> so what we do is we're really, the, the key skill is really listening t- to people's conversations yeah. and really listening for those key ideas that come out. Um, we synthesize what we hear and take the the high-level ideas and create words and pictures from them. So I mean, because you're not technical, you're going to be looking more at an inflection and reaction to the material to know yeah. that was obviously important. Look how the room changed. Yes. Yeah. Being an audio guy, that is exactly <laughs> what we do. Because yeah. our Actually, back is to the audience. Right. So. right. Yeah, we definitely do that. We both listen to um, how the, the speaker is pausing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Things that are repeated, we know that those are important points that they're trying to make. Um, and then, yeah, if, if there's a big laugh in the room, we try to draw a picture of that. If people uh-huh. are moaning, we try to capture that as well so and so you're doing this on digital tablets while you're sitting there or how how does that translate um at times we will do them digitally Nora's really good at doing Uh them on the ipad and um the wacom but in sessions like this it's we're actually up at the front of the room okay um illustrating that's why the boards are so big Uh, so so that the scale is important so that the audience uh has the experience because there's really two uh two, I think, values to what we do, and one is um, the process, so the real-time experience of being in a presentation or a conversation um, and seeing all the ideas that you're listening to being visualized, because most people are visual learners, Mm. Um, and it also helps engagement because, especially today, no one can just sit and listen. People are, you know, on their devices, or they're looking at the window, their mind's wandering. So, what when they look at us, they see that we're um, creating a visual hook right back to what the content is. Right. Yeah. Um, so for that reason, you, you want to have a big scale so everyone in the room can sure. see it. And so here, uh, because there's 900 people in the theater, uh, Heather and I are actually doing it simultaneously on both sides so huh. everyone in the audience can see. Yeah. So you Very actually cool. can finish the boards by the end of the session? Yep. Mm-hmm. Everything we do is real time. Wow. That's fast. That is fast and very it's, cool. 
And yeah, the internet is fast. Yeah. Uh, Technology is fast. Yeah. yeah. Electrons, pretty fast. Right. Yeah. Hey, internet's, uh, internet's not had a good time today here in, in the building. So. I know the internet it's not always not fast. A, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the pen to, runs out of ink. Wanted, I wanted to tweet Dave, the internet's kicking my ass. I'm trying to, yeah. but the internet, it, yeah. the internet wasn't working. So we couldn't use the password. You'll see or, it like in three uh, days. Yeah. So yeah, this board right here that's filled with tweets, there's a, are there a lot more words here than there usually are? Like, I imagine what you try to do is pictorial in images more than words, but it, tweets you sort of have to... Yeah, it, it, I think it depends on what the content of the meeting is, but yeah. generally we do try to use um, just a few words, like a headline, yeah. like the newspaper. So like a few words that summarize the, the idea mm. and then... An, an icon to illustrate yeah. it because that's really how people remember things. The the image is a memory hook and the, I don't know, there's, there's a lot of debate about the, you know, how many words really people can remember and right. the greatest yeah, percentage. It's, it's interesting because it's kind of the process what we're doing. I'm just thinking about this now of illustrating the tweets is like really compressing everybody's yep. thoughts into something really succinct. It's like 140 characters yeah. and then, uh, you know, and then we're trying to like get it down to one or two pictures. But because yeah. people have to recognize their tweet because they win a prize. Sure. I'm trying. I also feel like when you tweet, it's 140 characters. So you're pretty careful about what you choose yeah. to yeah. say. So if I'm you trying paraphrase, to. Right. It's like, yeah. <laughs> So, do you use humor a lot in your in your pictures, or is that verboten, or is there a line? I guess it depends on the group. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, yeah, we're basically out to service the group. That at the what? It's it's in the service of the group. So if they're a group that's making a lot of you know jokes, then we'll yeah. definitely include them. But if they're talking about yeah, yeah. Something that's very sensitive. We yeah, sure. I we had some it. very like raunchy images for the uh, U.S. Air Force, the, and it was a, it was a woman, and she was like <laughs> saying these things. There's this expression, right? Shit in your sock. Nice. And they were like, draw that. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not yeah. drawing that. Yeah. And then and they kept saying, come on. And, and and so I I drew a sock with like some steaming lines coming out oh, of it. And, yeah, and they were happy about that. And I was like, okay, well, I at least like avoided having to pull out the brown markers. Yeah. Uh, military. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. But I can also see if you're, you know, at an oncologist conference, there's not a lot of fun filled no. stuff there. Yeah, I can't really joke about that. We yeah. do. We do a lot of pharmaceutical. We do work with a lot of pharma agencies right. and um, different medical yeah. um, organizations. You know, all we have to worry about here is you know drawing a bunch of laptops and right. yeah. <laughs> smartphones. It's all, it's all so web it's okay. stuff and people waving their hands. It's safe. Yeah, <laughs> some microchips. What was the uh, What was the most fun thing that, that you've ever had to? I get. Would you call this transcribing? Visual transcribing or? Imaging, I guess you call it image recording, but you can call it image thinking if you image want. Image thinking, yes. yeah. What was the what was the most fun? <laughs> We're gonna let Heather answer that one. Oh boy, the most fun. Um, oh, shoot, that's a really hard one. Oh, I'll pick one that was really fun for you then. Okay, you're gonna pick one for me. I have no, one. Oh, one. <laughs> you have one for me? Well, I was yeah. Well, I, I don't. You weren't there, but. Oh. <laughs> it was really silly, and it goes back to Twitter. I can't remember. It, then you can, if you'll think after I said Okay. So it was um, uh, uh, Seth Godin's, like, not him, but his underlings, like, put on this thing called Swagapalooza. And the huh. idea was they were going to get 100 top bloggers, and they were going to get, like, 
a handful of people who were coming up with like new products and they were going to put them together and basically like give the bloggers all the swag and they'd have to listen to these people's presentations oh, and then hopefully man. they'd like them and go blog about them. So why were we even there? Well, we were there because there was this company <laughs> called yeah. Idea Paint, which um, turns, they have paint that will turn your wall into a whiteboard wall. Okay. Okay. Which works really pretty well. I was skeptical, but I can attest because they brought uh, us in to, uh, you know, visualize their pitch and everybody's pitches. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but the thing was, is it was an open bar for like an hour and a half oh. before this happened. Oh, God. Oh, so that's a mistake number one. Mistake number two was that they had a live Twitter feed, oh, yeah. like right next uh. to presenters and a bunch of drunk bloggers in yeah. the audience. Oh, and they, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what? they were like just completely heckling these people. Oh. And it was like at this nightclub. It was the weirdest thing, you know? And so like these people are trying to present and like these bloggers are like tweeting all this, like they're just badgering them and, um, and you have that to draw was it. Pretty, it yeah. was pretty strange. And then I got a bag of like free stuff afterwards. Nice. So. But what did you draw out of that? Oh, gosh. I don't even remember. <laughs> I can, we could go on the I internet. I remember all the stuff. It was open bar for an hour <laughs> after all, Richard. Um, yeah. I, there was like a company. Actually, some of the companies did really well. There's this like five hour energy drink that was like one of the okay. one of the people like pitching. At first, I was like, this is all ridiculous. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, but some of those products really worked. I guess the the whole swag, get the bloggers drunk on free booze and give them some stuff is a really good recipe for getting your product out For getting there. some noise. Yeah. Heather, you got one? Um, I did think of one. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, unfortunately, it doesn't uh, involve all the excitement that Nora did. That Nora had doesn't involve drinking and blogging. <laughs> uh, <as well>. no. <laughs> um, that's another story. I've got plenty of those as well. But... Uh, um, this was at another conference. It was at Internet Week in New York, and I was working with a company named called Mebo. Y'all are familiar with that. Mm-hmm. And um, so what they what they did, they had a huge whiteboard, and I was there over the course of the entire conference. And we were doing some things. We were collecting information from the audience. So they had um, clipboards, and they had to fill out what what their favorite websites were. So all of this information came back to me and had all of these websites. So I had to categorize them, um, you know, like exotic animals or beards or, There's a lot you know, of websites beards. beards. Yeah, there were a lot of people who were really passionate about, like, beards, s- beards and, like, huh. sculpted mustaches or, like, their favorite YouTube video bo- about, you know, songs about beards. Okay. So, you know, just... You guys would do really well. Yeah, you would. Oh, well, yeah, okay. Yeah. I can right, forward thanks. you all those sites. So... Anyway, at the end of the I con- left my wax in the states. Yeah. <laughs> at the end of each day, there was um, a team of programmers that would come, and so I was drawing everything up, and then we'd photo- we'd digitize it at night, and they would go home and or go back to their office, and they were programming. So on the last day, um, Mebo um, launched a website. It was all hand. It was all like hand drawn. The cl- the the favorite websites collected Your drawings, from, right? Wow. Yeah, my yeah. drawings um, collected from the audience, and you could actually go in and like click on the hand drawn URL, nice. and it would take you to the website. Nice. Oh, wow, yeah, it cool. was very cool. I really, really cool. liked. I really liked doing that project a lot. And, and you learned a lot about beards. I did. I learned <laughs> a lot. Like there's like competitions and championships, oh, and I was taking people hair, travel, facial hair way too seriously. People That's travel like you're all really, over like, the low world. Performing person, if like what you say is like I compete in the beard competition. Yeah. Like all I do is like grow facial hair. That's it. Yeah. Like, well, he was also the, the guy who was really into it. He was also like a photographer, and that was kind of like his side. 
Huh. Oh, and I also side grow beards length. on the side. Yeah. Huh. He had a pretty impressive mustache. It was one of those long ones that did the curly Oh, jeez. The yeah. curly, deadly do-right We mustache. actually saw the pictures in Austin, Texas, when we were at South by Southwest. With the mustache guy? Yeah. So um, what's next for you? Where do you go after this? Um, we are going to be a graphic recording for the keynote speaker this evening. Mm-hmm. After Ordev. Oh, know. after Ordev. Oh. Well, funny you should ask. I'm either going back to New York or to Italy for a job. Yep. And Heather, it's... Um, I'm going to go to uh, Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So I have a job there working with the company. And then um, I'm doing another conference in Maine. Uh, in Maine. In Spain. <laughs> in Spain. Spain. <laughs> <laughs> Maine. Like Maine. Spain, Maine. Yeah, it's almost the same. Yes, yeah. it's in Madrid. Okay. Yep. So this is, this is a pretty rocking gig. It sounds like you guys have a lot of fun doing what you do. I have a ton of fun. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Well, keep it up. And it looks great. And you're very talented, obviously. Imagethink.com? Dot net. Imagethink.net. Someone could figure out how we get the URL from, like, the weird farm that owns it. It's just a blank page when you go there. Oh, I'm sure you can get it if you we pay try. the right amount of we money. We try. Let but. us know. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening, and remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 minutes of free video training by guests on .NET Rocks and other experts in the field. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com.